have I enough faith to believe that when I ask in prayer, not only does God hear, but God answers? That's probably a question all of us need to ask ourselves. How are we doing today? Good and blessed. I like those. The title of today's message is Zach and Mary. We, uh, we heard the song earlier, uh, Pam led it, um, Child in the Manger. Um, but this is about the baby and uh, the, the readings that we heard already for, for uh, Advent candle lighting. It's about the baby. About... But the story that I want to read is from Luke chapter 1, and it's, the message is titled Zach and Mary. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly divisions of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and to burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, and, he'll, and many people will rejoice at his birth. He must not drink wine and liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He'll bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he'll turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He'll make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure of this? My, my wife and I are very old. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he gestured to them and couldn't speak. When he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home. Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months, saying, This is the Lord's doing. He has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among the people." And then the verse is what the kids read for Advent reading today. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, God is honoring you. Look. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He'll be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me, just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Today's passage like all the ones leading up to Christmas, are some of the most special passages to me in the, in the Word. As uh, we're hearing the two little girls up front here, one quoted John 3.16, I, I remember when I was a kid, probably about her age in my first Christmas pageant at church, and I was given the uh, reading from Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6 to memorize and read. Surely we have behold him smitten of God and afflicted, and that, you know, that we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all, and that passage, and I still recall some of those words intact in part. But I remember I learned that for a Christmas program. All the passages that lead up in Scripture to this point, this message of the holy birth of the Son of God, some of the most special ones to me in Scripture. But I can admit, on this particular passage here in Luke chapter 1, I have been confused more than a few times. Mentioned in succession, Zechariah meets with Gabriel, and then Mary meets with Gabriel. And Zechariah always ends up speechless. And Mary, if we continue the chapter, starts singing a song. And they both question the angel Gabriel. And I always wonder why it never seems fair that one is punished and the other's not. Not that I want Mary to be punished. punished. I'm not saying that. But I never fully understood the difference between Zachariah being silenced and not Mary. And and I I came to realize the simple difference is this. Mary questioned about God, and Zechariah questioned about himself. And and the the difference in in the Scripture may be a fine line, but I want you to hear it out. The fact is, Zechariah had prayed for a baby boy for years. It was his and Elizabeth's lifelong dream as husband and wife that they would have a child, a son, And Zechariah prayed for that. And suddenly, when he's hearing from Gabriel that your prayer is being answered, he questions, how can I know this for sure? He's asking about himself. How can I know this? Now, there is no theological or biblical suggestion that angels have any sense of humor. But the fact that he's got to be silent for nine months while his wife is pregnant has got to be the most humorous thing in Scripture. He can't say a word, and that's all she's doing is talking about it. But more likely, 
the sign of Zechariah's silence might have just as easily identified Zechariah's prayers. Devout and righteous as he was, his prayers had become empty because they had been mere, become merely spoken words. Words no longer backed up by a belief in a God who hears and answers prayer. Now Mary, on the other hand, she was betrothed to Joseph, and she had not yet had any prayers for a baby. That was not on her radar. Her question was also a how question. And see, that's what I always got confused with. Zechariah asked how, and Mary asked how. But Mary instead was not asking about herself. She was asking about God. How can this be since I'm a virgin? The question identified her understanding that this was miraculous. This can't happen to me because I know this can't happen to me. Common English Bible translation I read from is, you know, since I've no longer, I've not yet had any sexual relations with a man, I can't, how can, you know, this is the, she's asking about the miraculous side of this because she understood the physical side of it. The question in her mind and heart was a recognition that this could not happen naturally. You see, it's not a concern to her before marriage, not at this point in her life, that she's going to have a son. It was not on her heart yet to ask God for a baby. By verse 38, the end of the passage that we read, Mary has her explanation for the miracle and simply says yes. And it's no wonder she began to sing. You ever heard the, the Magnificat sung? The verses that follow verse 38, when she meets with Elizabeth and there's, there's this meeting of joy and then Mary just begins to sing. You might say it was the very first Christmas carol. Followed by a few months when angels would start singing Christmas carols on a hillside in front of shepherds. I love all the Christmas carols. I, I can't get enough of them when we when we we don't have hymnals in here anymore. But I, you know, I, I the carols in the hymn, in Christmas time, I would just go through them all, even the ones I don't know how to sing. Just reading the words. But one day, a few years ago, I made a self-discovery. I began to realize that my prayers, or at least some of them, could look and sound a lot like Zachariah's prayers. Asking God in faith means responding to him in faith. And asking God in faith means responding to him that when the answer is forthcoming, we don't question the God who's giving the answer. Mary was different. She lived in the realm of possibility of miracles when they're not expected. Asking God how in those circumstances is not a lack of faith. Gabriel told Zechariah that day that when he was there in worship, that the answer to his prayers stemmed from his own worship. 
God heard his prayers and was answering them. Yet Zechariah doubted the answer and asking how in that circumstance only pointed to him having a loss or a lack of faith. Have I enough faith to believe that when I ask in prayer, not only does God hear, but God answers? That's probably a question all of us need to ask ourselves. That when we ask in faith, believing of God, do we know that God not only hears, but answers? Now, this is not about wishful thinking prayers. You know, I, I wish I had a million bucks. You know, this is uh, George Bailey going into the ice cream shop and throwing the cigar lighter. I wish I had a million bucks and the light comes on and he gets that, you know. If you're watching It's a Wonderful Life, you'll see that scene. It's not that wishful kind of thinking. See, Zachariah had waited for a long time for this to come to pass. And then on the very threshold of its arrival, he had lost the faith that once formed his prayer life. We had the kids up here doing the Advent reading. We had number of the girls doing the flags. It's no wonder that Jesus would take a little child and place the child on his lap in order to convey to his own disciples something about how faith should operate. The disciples gave no thought to them. They were willing to shoo him away. But Jesus saw that they could teach us all a lesson. That childlike faith reason I still remember that scripture from my time as a kid in a Christmas program is because God emblazoned them on my hearts, on my heart, and God did that when I was a kid. Chris said something instructive to us earlier in the service when he was announcing before the kids were coming up. That's always a blessing to have the kids in the service when they're taking part. I think Jesus would have the kids with us on a regular basis to remind us what faith is supposed to look like from their eyes. For nearly two millennia, Christians have debated the age of Mary when she gave birth to Jesus, when she was betrothed, and, and we don't have an answer to that in Scripture. Nevertheless, we do know that Mary had the kind of faith that believed in the impossible happening if God was in charge. Do we teach our kids that lesson? Do we exemplify that in our lives so that our kids can actually follow our example in that? In 1986, when Karen and I left Ephrata under Reverend Mountain's leadership here and we went to Maine to pastor our first church, our son Timothy was just 15 months old. He was born in Ephrata Hospital 36 years ago next week, December 31st. We went to Maine, to Gardner, and it was a great adventure for our 15-month-old son to go to church. His imagination had him playing the window piano. I got to describe the church there in Gardner. We had stained glass windows on either side of the sanctuary, about four on each side, and, and the very narrow windows, maybe not much wider than this, 
but they, they, they stood from about two feet off the ground to the ceiling. And the windowsill was down, of course, at his level where he's 15 months and probably a little older by that time he started doing this. But Timothy would stand at one of those windowsills and pretend to play the piano with the windowsill. And he would look over his shoulder at Ron. Ron was our keyboardist. And when Ron moved his hands, Timothy moved his hands. We also had a sliding glass window at the back of our sanctuary that opened into the foyer. And Timothy would stand on a chair at the back of that window and he'd pretend he was McDonald's drive through window to the people in the foyer. <laughs> what a great adventure it was for him to go to church. Those are some of the wonderful antics that we had as a pastoral family raising our kids in church. But this one still draws a tear to my eye. In Maine, where we lived, we also got Canadian television programming from time to time, and, and they had on the PBS channel in Maine a Canadian broadcast children's program called Today's Special. Somewhere sandwiched between Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was Today's Special every day. And Today's Special was about a department store holding the special sale of the day kind of thing. And in the store was a mannequin. And a sales clerk that would set up the displays for the next day's sale, and, and a mouse that ran through the department store at night. And whenever the mouse would say the magic words, hocus, pocus, alamogocus, the mannequin came to life. We were shopping at a department store one day with Timothy, and he, Karen had him in the shopping cart, sitting in the seat there as she's pushing the cart. And we passed a display with a similarly dressed mannequin. And Timothy mouthed, mouthed the words, Pocus, Pocus, Alamogocus. I wish I could say that mannequin came to life that day. But the very fact that he believed in the miraculous with such childlike faith was the most tremendous blessing. Now my son is six foot seven and I have to go up like this to hug him. You know, he was down here then. But that faith, something he learned early. If you were having a difficult time recapturing childlike faith in your adult years, it's time to re-examine the stories of your childhood. Read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis or Madeline Lengel's A Wrinkle in Time. Those stories are rich with spiritual themes that depict Christ and the work of God. There are many others. It's Christmas time, so, so read Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol or watch It's a Wonderful Life and see the miraculous happen. Now, these don't manufacture faith. But if you let them touch you deeply, you'll begin to find again that more than just the magic of Christmas, most importantly, you'll find the hopefulness of spiritual victories that overcome great odds, that see you through difficult places when the world seems to have turned on you in a moment. If you read The Lord of the Rings from Tolkien, you've done the same thing. Christmas is not about magic. It's about God speaking. 
I think Zechariah had forgotten the stories of his childhood, of Abraham and Moses, of Ruth and Esther and all the rest. The stories of God's deliverance through great trials and against great odds against gigantic enemies. Undoubtedly, as a priest, he knew them by heart and could recite them eloquently. All the facts, but he had lost somehow the meaning behind the stories. How God, the loving creator of the heavens and the earth, would visit his people to change the world. Have you forgotten the stories of your faith? How the loving God of the universe came in to a manger in Bethlehem when there was no room in the inn? And what was in that manger would change the world forever? Mary, with her innocent childlike devotion, had not forgotten those stories. And I say neither can we forget them.